Well, hello and welcome to Impact, Intentionality and Innovation. My name is Kieran John, and today I'm in conversation with Lisa Barkley from Nesta. Lisa is Nesta's Executive Director of Investments with responsibility for direct impact investment activity that supports transformational technology ventures within Nesta's portfolio. So thanks for joining us today, Lisa, and for also contributing to our report titled Impact Investment, Intentionality and Innovation, Unlocking Financial, Social and Environmental Value for UK PLC. During today's conversation, we're going to discuss your experience in the impact investment space. Nesta's focus on meaningful impact through its three innovation missions and conclude with your reflections on our report. But first, like with every podcast interview during this series, we're going to start by asking our podcast guest what the phrase impact venture means to them. So over to you, Lisa. Hi, Kieran. Great to be with you. I think the report's definitions of impact investment around intentionality and solution-seeking investments, plus the measurability angle that goes with it, is a good starting point for what is an impact venture. I think the other angle that I would say is super important is a founder who has an authenticity around mission or purpose, but also is very driven to make money and to deliver profit. Mm. That makes sense. I think authenticity is one of those those key themes that came up during our report. I know. I, I guess it must depend on each each founder you speak to. But can you can you think of a founder where you think, oh yes, they're really authentic, and you know, what's the reason why they kind of gave that impression to you? I mean, all of our all of our founders were <laughs> authentic. I would say that, wouldn't I? But genuinely, all of the founders that we work with are really driven to deliver the impact outcomes that we talk to them and, and kind of agree on at the outset. And they want to build really strong, profitable, successful companies. Uh, we've done a lot of investments in the education space. I can think of one founder in particular has built a, a really exciting, successful company commercially, but is absolutely clear that the impact data that he collects and, and that we agreed with him at the outset has really benefited the company in terms of its growth trajectory talking when he talks to customers it's really helpful that he has an evidence base of impact uh, particularly in education where your customer probably wants to know as much about the education and learning outcomes as they do about the cost or the cost savings that you might be able to deliver to them uh, as a customer yeah that's just one example so you can see, I think we'll have a bit more time later on in the conversation to go into a bit more depth about Nesta's approach and the way you work with the, the portfolio companies. But first, before we get into that, I think one of the reasons why I really want to talk to you today is because you're really experienced in this impact investment space. I believe you've been working in this area since 2004, both as an investor and an advisor. So it'd be quite interesting to kind of reflect and think, what was the situation like in, in 2004 when you were working in this space and what's it like now? Um, is there anything that particularly jumps out to you? In 2004, I was an investor at Bridges Fund Management in the very early days. And I think Bridges was um, one of the first, if not the first, mission-driven fund managers. And I remember kind of going across the country, talking to lawyers and corporate finance advisors about the types of investments we were looking for. And they gave us a very strange look and didn't quite know whether we were real investors or some kind of fluffy charity people. That's completely transformed. It feels like impact investment has come of age. It's, you know, mainstream investors, as we all know, are, are turning to impact investment and considering it and thinking about it. So the landscape has completely changed uh, for the better. 
in the early days, people just couldn't quite get their heads around how you can both deliver a financial return and deliver a social impact. Quite, it was quite a struggle for, for people to get their heads around. Do you think more people are kind of they've got a different perception of what profit is? The perception from the 80s that you know people make a profit and they go off and sit on a beach somewhere when they've made their money and they're you know, maybe not doing it for the, the exact right reasons. They maybe you know, people are losing out in society because of those profit-driven models. Do you think people are more thinking now it's kind of like what you do with the profit that matters? Was that Do you think that comes up in the kind of shifting pattern? It's a, a variety of uh, factors. I think it's the increasing consciousness of the intersection of profit with social environmental factors driven by things like climate change, Me Too, Black Lives Matter and COVID. And also the new generation coming through the job market and the investment world, millennials, Gen Z, are much more focused on uh, purpose as well as profit and um, will hold, whether it's their employers or investors or um, founders, to account to make sure that there is genuine purpose with profit. I think we definitely see that a lot in the people we, we speak to from you know, people wanting to set up these ventures. They're kind of, there's lots of forces at play which are driving this move in this space. And you know, interestingly, you touched upon things like COVID and you talked about you know, Black Lives Matter, that kind of thing. Um, I'm quite interested to kind of go back to your pre-investment space when you worked in, you know, in policy and worked as a political advisor in government. Do you think the, the government is a, do you think that's a way to kind of drive change in this area and kind of you know, make an attractive condition for impact investment? Or do you think that you know, government should get away and let, let, the, let the market and let the innovators and entrepreneurs drive this change? Typically, government has a role when there's a market failure. So identifying what is the market failure and then what's the appropriate kind of response to that, I think, is the right way to think about the role government has to play. To be fair, government did do quite a lot to, in terms of market development of impact investment in the early days both when I was at Bridges and um, when I was around uh, around the launch of Big Society Capital. In that regard, government has stepped in where there was a gap and, and, a, and a shortfall. There's a broader role for government, not just in impact investment, but in driving innovation and investment in early stage ventures, where there's a lot of impact in early stage ventures. Instruments like the Enterprise Investment Scheme, which isn't impact specific, it's addressing a market failure around the equity gap for early stage ventures. That's been very helpful, both for early stage ventures in general, but also for impact ventures that are early stage. There are good solutions and good instruments that government can use in a helpful way. I think government needs to make sure it's not too prescriptive. So they did try and tailor a tax advantage for impact ventures, more on social investment, called the social investment tax relief. And that was very, there was very low take up because there were so many constraints and conditions on how you could get the benefit. So I think that's a lesson of, of where government intervention can be helpful and accelerate innovation and change. And perhaps where we need to be a bit careful about government being too prescriptive and letting the market kind of step in and, and um, do its job and not let government kind of crowd that out. Kind of flows quite nicely onto the next section of this, this interview. We talk about Nesta, because obviously Nesta is set up as a, a charitable entity with a, an endowment fund to kind of stimulate you know, work in innovation and impact space. Is there a role for charities and kind of you know, impact aligned organisations to kind of fill that gap 
for governments? Or do you think, is, is, that, is that the role that an organisation like Nesta should play? Should Nesta be out there looking for new areas to explore into and new spaces to kind of develop innovation and, and impact? Government, charities, private sector all have a role to play. As a charitable foundation, we are in a privileged position to draw on our endowment to look at how we can drive innovation for social good in different ways. So um, my colleagues on the programme side of Nesta are using our endowment uh, funding to work with government agencies, to work with industry, to work with the uh, third sector to develop solutions uh, that could drive the impact in our in our 10-year strategy. We also are able to draw on private sector innovation through our venture investments. I think that's a very, as I say, a very privileged and, and a great place to be where you can draw in innovation from all corners of society and the economy around some very clear and specific impact goals. There are different parts of the of society and the economy that have, have roles to play and it's not it shouldn't all be down to government. Yeah, and one of the interesting things I find about Nestor is your kind of really strong commitment and focus on the three innovation missions. So that's the fairer start, a healthy life and sustainable future. Is there like a, a particular portfolio company you like to have this opportunity to kind of spotlight and, and talk about a bit more widely? We've made four investments to date that are aligned with Nesta's 2030 strategy and you outlined the three themes closing the education attainment gap where we're primarily looking at how you can intervene in the early years when children are aged zero to five before they start school to raise all children to a good level of development before they start school so that gap is as narrow as possible if not closed at the point that children start school that should give everyone a stronger trajectory through their school life Second area, healthy life, is around halving obesity by 2030. And the third area, sustainable future, we're focused on accelerating the decarbonisation of UK households. To give an example of a couple of companies that we've invested in so far where there is quite strong alignment to those impact goals, but also a very clear profit imperative, one is a childcare business that is pioneering a new model of affordable, high quality childcare. So if it does well commercially, we'll see more children achieving good development outcomes. The second business that I wanted to mention is diet replacement and behaviour change app that reverses type 2 diabetes. So the more subscriptions it sells, the more likely it is that more people are prevented from falling into type 2 diabetes or step back from that into a healthier life, but it also saves money for the NHS. Really interesting. I think um, from a personal perspective, I'm a type 1 diabetic, so it's really interesting to hear about the work that Ness is doing with type 2. And um, so my background as a, as a charity trustee, supported in, in where I'm from in Norfolk, supporting all forms of diabetes. And I think it's really interesting to kind of see a focus on like using innovation to do that as well, not kind of relying just on the NHS services. When you kind of have a, a portfolio company that comes to you, which may align, well, hopefully aligns with one of the three mission goals, what do you look for in that portfolio company? You, interesting, you, throughout the conversation, profit's been a strong theme that's come out as well as impact. Is it profit first, impact second, or do you, do you not kind of, is it too simplistic to kind of try and put one above the other? The report mentions the concept of a lockstep 
And that's something that we talk about a lot and we're very signed up to. We're not looking for trade-offs between impact and financial returns. We want both. We're looking for companies that can deliver both. We're looking for, for founders that are genuinely committed to driving both impact and financial returns. I think, and, and that I think is the key. The founders have to be bought in to that dual objective. Well, you can't have long lasting impact if you're not being profitable, are you? So I think to us, that kind of makes makes sense that profits, you know, lock steps into business as well. And it's interesting that you're, you're back on the bridges. I don't know if that's inspired the lockstep approach as well, but it's a nice synergy in the kind of bridges approach and what you're, you're doing now at Nesta, which is interesting. Um, when you're kind of, you know, you've got to the stage where you've got an you know, investee company lined up, they're ready to kind of receive investment. Do you think it's important there's not a mission drift? I know you, you talked a lot about all the people you invest in are authentic and they are wanting to support that mission. But are there certain steps that Nesta takes to try and make sure that's kind of solidified, either through legal agreements or through through other ways? This starts with the founder. We are looking for founders that are genuinely mission-driven as well as wanting to build strong commercial businesses. But we do also bake into the legal agreements and the constitutional do- documents certain impact provisions to ensure that impact is a key driver of the business and there's, again, an authenticity there which is locked in over the long term. We haven't tried incentives, impact incentives for founders, but I thought that was an interesting idea and I'd be quite keen to learn if, if that has worked so far, but I think it's an interesting idea. We know that a number of impact venture funds carried interests linked to impact outcomes. So again, that feels like a good idea in terms of aligning incentives. From where we sit, we look at the putting in some of those provisions into the legal documents. And we also, um, during our due diligence, will co-develop an impact plan with the founder so that there's mutual ownership of that and an agreement from the outset of the theory of change that we all want and hope the, the business will deliver the kind of data we want to collect on that journey. Yeah, it's really interesting you mentioned impact incentives because that's one of the things that jumped out through our research and putting our report together. Our report didn't have the scope to kind of have an answer for that and kind of go to the next stage and work out and practice. You know, the, the report's the start of the conversation. We want to get the right people in the room and kind of share some ideas and share experience. I know that I think your approach to Nestor is you know, let's learn, let's open up, you know, let's talk to people, let's try and share best practice, but also things that haven't gone as well, perhaps, to kind of learn. Do you think that's a really important thing for the kind of impact investment community generally, or just you know, in the investment community? Absolutely, yes. Learning from success and learning from failure are equally important. So knowing what's worked and what hasn't worked so well would be, I think, really helpful to everyone in terms of making progress in the right direction. Uh, another thing that jumped out in your previous response, talking about the you know, co-developing a the theory of change with your investee companies, it's quite interesting. There's lots of people we spoke to doing this report are kind of um, investee companies who'd received impact investment, but also received investment from mainstream investors. So obviously, you're going to speak to this from the perspective of the investor rather than investee. But it'd be quite interesting for us, obviously, without you naming any names because you don't want to get into trouble with any of the portfolio companies. It'd be quite interesting to know what that's like for Nesta if you're kind of on the same cap table as what you might perceive as a mainstream investor. Are they looking to perhaps some of them dilute the impact for the financial returns. They're not wanting the lockstep, they're wanting the, the finance first, impact second. Or do they kind of see value in the kind of the exercise you do with the, the theory of change and the kind of general kind of reporting and the kind of support that Nesta provides post-investment as well? So I think on the impact KPI side, I mean, I've never had any pushback 
from a mainstream investor. But what I've had, and I think it's because of the types of markets the companies we back operate in, they've seen the value of having an impact investor on the cap table. And often the founder wants us to come in to be the kind of voice of impact around the board table, on the cap table. I've never seen resistance to that. What I've seen is mainstream investors wanting to understand better why we're doing what we're doing, what we think the benefit will be. I've never encountered resistance to it. And I've never really encountered any dilution of impact for the benefit of financial returns either. Because I think the companies we back are in markets which are impact markets. So you do well commercially, you deliver impact. That, make, that makes total sense. It's quite nice to see you know, Nesta being that, that champion, that voice of impact on, on the cap table as well, because founders are under lots of pressure, aren't they? They're kind of running, hopefully, multi-million pound business, doing long hours. And if you've got that kind of support from the investor you can rely on and kind of share the experience, I think that's more the, the merit. When you're speaking to the percentage of investors, what, what are they kind of looking for from, from Nesta? Is it just they want the cash, they can accelerate their impact? Or is, it, is there more to that? Is there the, the mentoring, the networks, the community aspects? So both, as with all investors, Founders want more than just a check. Certainly from us, the support on the impact side is important. Networks, particularly often government networks, are important, again, in the markets in which our investees operate. That can be quite key. Typical support that you might expect from an investor around recruitment and board. But I think from where we sit at Nesta, what we look to offer is to draw on the broader skills and resources of Nesta to accelerate success of the investee. So that might be boosting their comms coverage, you know, getting them. So, for example, we've just asked one of our founders to speak at a fringe event at one of the party conferences on a fringe event that we sponsored. That kind of kind of intangible support that can just keep inching things forward. Yeah, it's interesting. I think one of the reflections of our report is, you know, investees don't just want money they want they want the networks they want the wider support and you're effectively spotlighting investee companies which i'm sure is, is really valued by the the, uh, the founders you support in preparation for this this conversation today i look at nesta's most recent annual report on, online doing a bit of a bit of sleuthing and one of the points that jumped out to me was um a reflection that the ventures you support need the right capital and the right kind of support to enable them to grow and tackle the world's most pressing social and environmental problems. You talked a lot about support aspects in your, your previous answer. I'm quite interested to know what, what is the right kind of capital? Does it kind of depend on what stage of the life cycle the impact, to, the impact venture's on? Or is it like a mixture of you want a bit of equity, you want some capital, you want low interest loans, you want you know, grant? Is there like a hard and fast rule or is it, does it depend on each venture that comes into your portfolio? So I think it depends on the stage in the life cycle that we are looking at and I look after our direct investment portfolio where we're typically investing in seed to series A stage ventures. So ventures that are up and running, have some revenue, have a product and are looking to scale. You need patient capital for that. Often impact ventures are going to take longer to, to scale and um, uh, to deliver returns than perhaps a purely kind of financial play. But you also need risk tolerant capital according to the kind of profile of risk we feel it's appropriate to take just on that risk tolerant capital piece we've also nesta has also set up 
what we call mission studio, which is like a venture studio in partnership with Founders Bank, where we are seeding brand new ventures, which are aligned very strongly with those three impact goals that we talked about earlier. And we are, with Founders Factory, bringing that wholesale support to get a venture up and running. We attract a founder but then we provide a, a very um, comprehensive package of support, which might be product development support or HR, kind of back office finance or sales and marketing strategy support, any of that to help get a new venture off the ground. And that is a very different profile of risk. But we feel that we should be using our capital in that much higher risk end of the spectrum if we are to genuinely try and create and support as many ventures as possible that all deliver on these three impact goals. I guess that's also quite a helpful thing for, well, obviously helpful for the investee portfolio company but also helpful for nested with your good processes good governance from from day one and kind of setting the ventures off as they grow another thing you talked about in your previous answers about you know the patient side the patient capital obviously nest has been in this space for probably over 20 years investing in these kind of early stage tech ventures that align with the charitable purposes and you know there's recently been a sort of five-year multi-million pound investment facility which is focused on you know, this three innovation missions do you think that kind of long-term approach from the investor side is quite helpful. You can look, you can zoom out and say, you know, we're not just doing this to make a return for the next quarter. We're doing this because our impacts longer. Is that is that a really helpful position for you to be in? Absolutely. And I, as I said earlier, sometimes impact ventures just need that little bit extra time to see that upswing in growth and impact. So yes, and the reception we have from founders when we talk about patient capital is always very positive and founders are very happy to not be under that three to five year timeframe pressure that often they can be, whether it's from EIS or from your more conventional fund structures. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if this this kind of longevity or thinking approach is born out of Nestor's charitable status. And I think another thing that that charitable status brings is the transparency and accountability. Nestor has to publish a, an annual report and there's regulation by the Charity Commission, etc. I was kind of wondering from your, your reflection, whether you think there should be more sort of transparency and accountability on the investor side in the, in the in the space more generally? Is that something that's going to stifle innovation and not you know, develop best-in-class best in investment practice? So I think it depends what we mean by that. And not necessarily in favour of things like league tables, but I think you mentioned earlier, could we do better at learning from our successes and failures? Absolutely. If there's a, a kind of a centre of gravity in the ecosystem around bringing to light some case studies of success and failure kind of in a supportive way that encourages all of us to learn and to evolve impact investment practice that's all for good but I'm not sure that just a, a league table is going to work until we have a system of measuring impact that is in line with the system we have of measuring financial returns which is as objective as it can be and available to benchmark I think it'd be quite tricky. I think impact is inherently quite a complex thing as well it's quite hard to distill down into a to a number or, or figure, which is exciting. That's why lots of people are in this space. But it does make it hard to kind of, I guess, hard from your perspective as the investor to ascertain the impact over time. But also if we want to you know, have an index of impact investors, as some as some people in our report talked about. So obviously talking about a report, I kind of want to go on now to kind of the final section of our interview and kind of 
explore some of your reflections on our, our report. We um, we provide you with a, with a sneak peek and report, and I think you've had a had a quick look at it. Is there any kind of particular findings that jump out to you? The question of ESG and impact is you know kind of rumbles on, and I think it's really important that we keep banging the drum on what is ESG, what is impact, how can each be used well, and how do we think of ESG, how do we think of impact? And I think Hannes Lennart's um, quote is one I often use, which is ESG is how you do things and impact is what you do. So it's not like for like, it's apples and pears. You can't compare the two. But too often, impact investment is just kind of core under the umbrella term of ESG, so it all gets conflated. There's this intentionality that we talked about earlier in impact investment, so that you're investing in a business to deliver certain outcomes as well as financial returns. Whereas ESG is about how you do business, how you make investments and and making sure that there is a a consciousness around those ESG factors and ultimately sustainability of the investment or or the business. The terms ESG and impact investing, I think people who are quite involved in the space kind of know the difference and they can just distinguish it a bit. But I think it's just a perhaps a mainstream perception that is all the kind of the same thing. Do you kind of, do you agree with that approach? Yeah, I definitely agree with the reflection. People in the kind of more mainstream market just say, oh yes, you're an ESG investor. So yes, I think it's, I I don't think there's any kind of bad intents there. I think it's just, it's an easy catch-all phrase that people use. A phrase that rolls off the tongue, isn't it? So lots of people use it and they kind of, everything gets badged together. Do you think there are any ways to kind of dispel that misconception? Is it what we talked about earlier about that network, sharing best practice and kind of talking about it more widely? Or are there other ways which we can help distinguish impacts more clearly from ESG? Spreading the word and talking about it as much as possible is helpful where you've got some of these later stage investors, private equity investors, launching impact funds, talking about impact rather than ESG, again, shines a light on that distinction and helps build awareness and understanding in the, in the broader market. Reinforcing the messaging of what is impact investment, what is ESG, how they're different, each the role that each has to play, I think is very important. I spoke at a, a BBCA conference on this um, a couple of months ago, so it's very much a live subject, a live debate that is all around. And I think really important, given some of the more negative coverage of ESG, that we really keep making clear how impact investment is distinct and different from ESG. You know, a portfolio com- company comes to you. Does, does ESG, is that part of your due diligence? Is that part of your decision? Or is it something that you know, you're purely focused on the impact that they're having? Absolutely. ESG is part of our DD. And I was just talking to a founder earlier today who's been an investee for a couple of years, um, talking about the, the ESG questionnaire that we'd ask them to complete. And at the next board meeting, we're going to be discussing the findings of where they landed on that questionnaire and prioritising what are the key actions that we need to take to keep um, doing better on ESG? What are the issues that are most important to this business and to its ongoing success and strength? What's the action plan for the coming year that the board will check in on every quarter? Yeah, I think it must be useful to have that kind of benchmarking and that kind of assessment. But you're right that it's 
it needs to be applied for each business because ESG is such a broad, broad thing. So um, a business in a certain stage might life cycle might focus on the, the, the S more than the G or, or vice versa. But, um, but it's definitely an issue to be alive or a concept to be alive to for impact ventures and impact investors. But obviously one of the reflections of the report that we're wondering if if impact investment will become the mainstream. There's been lots of talk about it recently. I don't know whether that's because, as you say, there's been lots of conflation between ESG and impact, whether that's the reason why it's a bit more prevalent. But I was kind of wondering from your uh, your perspective, do you think it'll always remain a niche or do you think we'll ever see impact investment as the kind of the leader in this in this, in this this investing space? Impact investment will always be relatively a niche in the broader market. But as we've seen over the last 10 years, it's grown and there's a lot more growth to come. And I think the challenges we're seeing around climate change will be a key driver in terms of volume of capital because there is such uh, a huge um, challenge for, for everyone to, to solve and, and to kind of throw everything out. Capital markets have got a really big role to play there. That will be and is a key driver of impact investment over the coming 10 years. And there's an urgency around that as well. Do you think that's a bad thing that impact investment won't be the mainstream or there's certain elements between impact that, that will be and other maybe the social aspects don't don't become as you know prevalent? Do you think that's a bad thing? Do you think there's there's a benefit having a bit of specialisation as Nesta does with its three mission innovation mission focuses? Do you think that's a, a benefit to the sort of landscape more widely? Where does a niche start and end? Um, and where does the mainstream market start and end? So we may get to a blurry line. Talking about volume of capital, I can't see impact investment ever being more than a kind of small proportion of the global capital flows. I think it could still get very, very significant and material. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that it needs to play its role to the max and um, make sure that it's, it's doing the job as, w- as well as possible. So if we can drive innovation around solutions to climate change and scale those up, fantastic. And I'm less worried to, as to whether impact investment is a niche or not, as long as it's doing its job and doing its job on the scale that is appropriate and necessary. I think Nest is playing its part in being taking the role to the max as well. So, um, so that's yeah, it's really really nice nice way to, to kind of conclude this section. But obviously, we're, we're going to bring our we've got a limited amount of time. Therefore, we should talk to you today, Lisa, and we'll hopefully have some more time to talk to you through various events and kind of discussion events with lots of other people in the sector. But I'd be quite like to finish this podcast by asking you quite a big question. Didn't necessarily expect you to have all the answers today, but um, I was kind of wondering from your perspective. How can we unlock the potential of impact investment to provide solutions to the economic, environmental and social challenges that UK PLC faces? Obviously, we're, for context, we're speaking around the time of the mini budget at the moment, and that's had a, an effect on lots of people. So um, do you have any particular reflections on that or was um, anything that springs to mind? Government has a role to play to ensure the conditions are right and favourable for impact investment to thrive and to provide these, these kinds of solutions but it's, it's only one tool in the toolbox. So it's got to sit alongside mainstream investment, you know, government policy, and many of the, the kind of social, um, economic and environmental challenges do touch at government policy. The question of incentives is one to consider. We talked about tax reliefs earlier. You know, is there more to be done there? And, and profile as well. I think uh, organisations like yourselves, like the Impact Investment Institute, like Big Society Capital, all have a role to play in 
raising the profile of impact investment as a tool in that broader toolbox. Fantastic. That's a really um, nice way to end our conversation today, Lisa. Thank you. Thanks again for, for being part of this podcast. It's been really good to have a bit more of a, a deeper dive into the kind of themes and your and the reflections of our impact investing report. So um, thanks for your, your time today and also thanks for your you know contribution to the report as well. And before we kind of wrap up, I was kind of wondering, is there anything else you'd like to mention or spotlight? I'd like to invite all founders who listen to this podcast to have a look at our website, nestorinvestments.org.uk. Uh, to see whether we'd be the right investor for you. We're very keen to meet founders who are developing ventures around the impact themes of education attainment, obesity and um, decarbonisation of households. So I'd be really keen to hear from anyone interested in those themes. But other than that, I just want to thank you very much for the opportunity to talk to you. And it's been, it's been a, a great experience. Our pleasure. And um, thanks to everyone for listening as well. And as Lisa said, if you want to learn more about Nesta, head over to www.nesta.org.uk and Nesta have also got a great a great podcast as well which I'd, I'd highly recommend checking out so um, listen to that but if you'd like to read our reports and be part of our impact aligned community head to www.taylorwinters.com